Hey friends, uh, we have the opportunity now to turn our ears to the Word of God um, and turn our eyes to Jesus and all the things that God has made. Just in these last couple of weeks, some amazing images of the universe, the cosmos, have been beamed back to planet Earth from the James Webb Telescope. Uh, here's one of the first images that we've seen. Uh, in this incredible picture, uh, there's a landscape of what looks like mountains and valleys, which are literally speckled with glittering stars. This is the edge of a nearby young star-forming region called NGC 3324. That sounds pretty scientific. In the Carina Nebula, uh, it was captured by infrared light, and this image reveals for the first time previous invisible areas of stars being born. This blows my mind that we can peer farther and deeper into the universe and literally see the fingerprints of what God has made like so far beyond uh, what our eyes can see or what we can perceive. Here's what I know to be true from the Bible. God made everything and God made everybody. He is a God who is for life. And what's more, it is God's desire. It is in the heart of God that everyone would say yes to him and be part of his family. Here's the thing about our modern world, though. We've been talking about American idols, and one of our modern misconceptions is what it means to truly belong or truly be included. I'm calling this the idol of inclusion. We live in a time where um, our identity or our chief source of belonging can so easily be affiliated with alternate groups to our chief identity as belonging to the family of God. Um, we live in a time where maybe what seems of primary importance is what um, preference group you identify with. I'm a golfer or I'm a musician. Uh, we hear frequently that the race that you were born into, um, those unchangeable characteristics are perhaps the most important thing about who you are or what defines you or your gender or your orientation. And to all these things, as important as those characteristics can, can be in shaping us and forming us, the Bible says the most important thing, the most important group, is that we belong to the family of God and that we bear the image of God. I'm going to read some verses from Genesis chapter 1 um, and explore briefly with you what it means to be a person, a people, who bear the image of God. Listen to the word. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image. This is a little strange to begin with, that God is talking to himself and says, let us, very early sign that God is himself, a community. But God says, let us make humankind in our own image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created humankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female he created them. Lots of times we make clear that every single person bears the image of God. That is 100% true. But one of the early markers of uh, the image of God at its best and brightest is that we experience it in community. That God didn't just create one, but created us at the very beginning for faithfulness, for relationship, for togetherness. And when we are together in community, for sure in marriage, for sure in close friendship and trusted relationships, uh, as we experience true and trusted community, we bear the image of God in 
the most beautiful kinds of ways. Genesis 1 continues with these words. So God blessed them and then said to them, Be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves along the ground. Second thing we can say about the image of God is that when we exercise responsibility for the good creation that God made, that is a way that we reflect the best and most beautiful aspect of God's image. Sometimes we use the word stewardship in Christian circles, but basically taking responsibility for the life, the environment, the circumstances that God has entrusted to us is a huge part of bearing the image of God. Third part from Genesis 1. Then God said, And I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and to all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, Everything that has breath in it, I give every green plant for food, and it was so. You could take this as dietary advice. I don't think that's why it's in the Bible, but it's clear at the beginning that all living things, uh, all animals, were vegetarians. Like, that's what God gave animals to eat. I think what's important about this is not commending vegetarianism as a diet, but that it's clear in the original goodness of creation that all creatures are meant to live in harmony and peace with each other, and a significant part of the image of God, to state it negatively, is doing no harm uh, to creation, but rather doing good toward our human brothers and sisters and toward all creatures. Here's how the Genesis 1 account concludes. God saw all that he had made, and it was, all caps, very good. The only day of creation that says it's very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Friends, this is a picture of how the heart of God desires creation to function. That we as men and women and kids would reflect God's own image in community, in responsibility, in avoiding harm, and doing good toward one another. God meant this to be, and it was, a beautiful and well-functioning world. However, in 2022, we know deep in our bones that it's not only a beautiful world, but it's also a broken and tragically broken world. Um, one of the songs that we sung earlier um, is a third verse of This Is My Father's World that puts these two realities together in a very poignant way. We sang, This Is My Father's World, Oh, Let Me Ne'er Forget that though the wrong seems off so strong, God is the ruler yet. This is my father's world. Why should my heart be sad? The Lord is still king. Let the heavens ring. God reigns. Let the earth be glad. So our response to this reality of the beauty and the brokenness of the world is to follow God and to keep bearing his image because in the midst of the brokenness, it is God's plan to restore what was once perfect and good, to redeem creation, to heal people, to mend broken relationships, to be on this mission that brings healing and restoration into the world. That's what Fifth Sunday Serve is all about, that we in some small and modest ways can participate in God's plan for bringing about restoration in the world. Uh, Part of God's 
brilliant idea for how this goes about is to not do all the restoration work all at once, but to start small and to let it grow. To start with a seed, Jesus called this the mustard seed of the kingdom that starts maybe tiny or even unnoticeable and ends up growing to be uh, this unavoidably large and beautiful and powerful tree. That's what we're called to in acts of service. On the one hand, every human being that you've ever met bears the image of God and is included uh, in God's creation with the nobility and the high calling of reflecting his image. On the other hand, uh, it is part of God's restoration plan to set apart some seed, to set, about, to set apart men and women and kids who will cooperate with him to further this work of healing and restoration. We're going to turn to a passage involving Jesus now from Mark chapter 3 to illustrate how God makes this choice as part of his strategy to redeem the world. Here's what Mark chapter 3 says. It starts with a crowd. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the lake, the Sea of Galilee, and a large crowd from all around Galilee followed. When they heard about what Jesus was doing, Many people came to him from Judea, from Jerusalem, from Idumea, from the regions all across the Jordan, from Tyre and Sidon. This is basically the whole neighborhood. Because of the crowd, Jesus told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him to keep the people from crowding in on him. For Jesus had healed many so that those with diseases were pushing forward to touch him. And whenever impure spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God! But Jesus gave them strict orders not to tell others about him. Get this picture of Jesus' ministry. It seems like he probably would never have had a spare moment. Uh, There was so much healing. There was so much good being done, lives being changed, restoration happening, that an increasingly large crowd from all different parts of Israel and surrounding territory came in to be near Jesus. Um, So in one sense, you could say that Jesus offered radical hospitality and inclusion for everybody. That for sure is true. But there's another side to it that Jesus made um, some special choices as well. Here's how Mark 3 continues. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those that he wanted, and they came to him. It's a striking phrase, those he wanted. So Jesus appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and have authority to drive out demons. These are the 12 that he appointed. Some familiar names here. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter. James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. To them he gave the nickname Boanerges, which means the sons of thunder. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who later betrayed him. So Jesus, from the crowd, chose 12 to be his special disciples. And from that group of 12, he chose three, Peter, James, and John, to be his closest and most intimate friends. Was Jesus being rude? Was Jesus being unfair? Was Jesus being small-minded and exclusive in making these choices? Uh, Quite the contrary. It's God's plan to set aside people who are willing to wholeheartedly follow him, who are willing to be the seed that goes into the ground so that in the kingdom, um, their lives might grow into something that produces 
spiritual fruit and reconciliation in the world. So there's a show that came out a few years ago called The Chosen. It's about these 12 and Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Jesus, those who were specially chosen to be the intimate companions of Jesus. And in a sense, being chosen this way is indeed a special privilege. Those original disciples had a front row seat. They were the intimate friends and companions of Jesus. They got to see his healing ministry at work. They got to share meals with him. They got to hear the wisdom of God literally coming out of his mouth. That's an awesome privilege. On the other hand, being chosen meant that they were called to special responsibility to represent Jesus in the world. Even while he was still with them, Jesus sent them out to preach and to heal and to teach and to represent him. Awesome responsibility. And these 12 were the first ones in line who were chosen to share the suffering of Christ, to be constantly misunderstood, um, to serve, to help, later to be persecuted, and almost all of them, with one exception, John, to give up their very life and their lifeblood because of their commitment to Jesus. Being chosen is a privilege on the one hand, but it's also a call uh, to a high level of responsibility and suffering. The Apostle Paul put it this way, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know him in the power of his resurrection and to know him in participating in his sufferings, to become like him in his death and so somehow to attain the resurrection of the dead. Friends, um, we are, like those original 12, blessed to be among the chosen who God would seek to use to send out, yes, to represent Jesus, yes, to serve as we're doing this very weekend, and also to bear in a special way the suffering of Christ, the death of Christ even, and so somehow with those original 12 and with Jesus himself to attain the very resurrection of the dead. Jesus welcomed radical hospitality to the whole crowd, and he also offered this incredibly radically high bar of obedience and discipleships to those that he pointed at and chose to be his disciples. This was true 2,000 years ago, and for those of us who would truly follow Jesus uh, every day of our lives, the same thing is true for us today. Sometimes we confuse um, this high bar of discipleship for those who are chosen with the laws of the United States of America or with the rules by which other groups operate. But this very high bar of discipleship is for those who would seek to walk with Jesus, who are mature men and women and who are called either informally or formally to be representatives or leaders within the church. Um, When I was a young adult, I signed up for that plan. Um, There's been some hardship along the road. I've been misunderstood more than a few times along the way, Um, but there's no life that I would prefer to following Jesus, uh, to have the privilege of knowing him, of hearing his voice, and the honor of suffering for his sake. Um, If you've made that choice as well, I'm glad to call you uh, a brother or sister, fellow member of um, a church community like this, and so delighted that this weekend we have the privilege of serving out in the world in Jesus' name. There's a great unity and spiritedness 
that goes along with this. In that vein, we're going to sing a closing song all together. Uh, we are one in the spirit. Even if you're watching on a phone or at home on a TV, I invite you to lift up your heart and voice as we sing and pray together to close the service out. Peace.